Good morning, everyone. I'm just going to move to the middle because this is the first time in three years we've actually been able to preach from the middle because we've got a new projector set up, new things going on here. Pretty good? Pretty excited about it? I don't know how you're feeling after what Brendan had to share, but I'm pretty shook about the whole uh, Coca-Cola situation with the red outfit change. Quite a big one. Um, But I want to say Merry, Merry Christmas Eve. And I was thinking about that this week. Uh, At this time of year, we say Merry Christmas to one another. It's quite a a big declaration. Merry Christmas, which is probably another way of saying Happy God Coming to Earth Day, you know, which is an interesting way of greeting one another. I don't know if you know this, but this is just a bit of uh, church history trivia for you. But the early church used to greet each other by saying Maranatha. It's quite an interesting thing. We'd say ha or ba. Uh, they would say Maranatha, dude. Maranatha, cheers. Have a good day, Maranatha. And really, that was a way of saying, come Lord Jesus. There was this almost expectation and hope and even prayer in the early church as they would greet one another and say bye to one another that Jesus was coming again, that the king was going to come and he was going to establish his kingdom in this world. And every time they saw one another, it was almost like to refresh. Just don't forget Life is busy, there's lots going on, but Jesus the King is coming again to establish his kingdom in our world. So maybe that can catch on here. Maranatha, guys, hope you have a good uh, Christmas. But with Merry Christmas, as we do this all around the world, we're remembering that Jesus came. He came as a baby into this world, as Catherine said, the incarnation, that God became flesh and blood and dwelt amongst us is such a massive thing. And every time we say that over this next while, Merry Christmas, we're celebrating that God came into this world. Now, I do have a bit of an honest confession time here. I think as I've chatted to a bunch of, uh, Bruce looks really worried about that. It was like going to be too bad. But um, for pastors that I chat to, I think Christmas and Easter are these two really tough times. Marion knows her dad's a pastor. He's actually preaching this morning, tomorrow morning. I know he's including some Star Wars stories, which is going to be really interesting, I'm sure. But um, for pastors around the world, preparing for Christmas and Easter every year is tough because you're preaching the same story and the same truth and the same message and it's the same passages. So, I mean, I don't know if you guys did get into this on the car, but I'm sure some of you, maybe some of you, are going, what's he going to preach today? Luke 2. He did Luke 2 last year. Maybe Matthew 1 or 2 today. Or maybe some of you are like, no ways. Grant's going Old Testament today. He's going to hit Isaiah 7, Isaiah 9, Isaiah 61, or maybe do a little mashup of a few. Uh, And you would be right. So well done if you're on the money, if that's what you were thinking. Um, Thank you so much, Shane. You're very, very kind. But I guess um, the reason I'm saying that is we're familiar with the Christmas story. You know, whether you grew up in church, I didn't, or whether you were part of a school that would go through the Christmas story regularly, or maybe you went to carols with your family, or maybe it's just being immersed in the culture of our country and of our city. The Christmas story is something people know so, so well, you know. You probably have heard all of the Bible stories before and all of the different angles around Jesus' life. And the danger with that is we get so familiar with the story. We get so familiar with Jesus' life, his death, his birth, all of these things that in a sense they lose their wonder and beauty and power. And it's just another day that passes us by. So kind of as we come at the Christmas story today, I want to ask you this question. What do you see at Christmas? What do you see? I'm sure some of you guys have watched shows like Storage Hunters, or I'm going to spell the next one out because I don't want to shock any of you. P 
P-A-W-N, Porn Stars. Have any of you watched that show before? Okay, now you feel comfortable to say yes. But it's kind of these shows where people will bring old heirlooms or antiques or things that they've got in their home that they've just found somewhere that they think could be worth a lot of money and are hoping maybe they could sell this and they could make hundreds of thousands or they could make their millions. And the great granddaddy of all of these shows is the Antiques Roadshow which just finished its 40th season, 40 years since 1977. It's been going on the BBC in the UK. And I was looking at this. Basically, the gist of it is these uh, antique specialists travel around the UK and sometimes do little guest appearances in other countries, and they value people's antiques and heirlooms to see if they've got anything special hiding out in their home. And uh, probably the most valuable find they ever had is quite an interesting story. It involves a man named Terry Nourish. He was a retired farmer, and Mr. Nourish had this item in his home. It's called a jardinier. It's this five-foot-tall kind of pot or vase, which Callum's going to pop up on the screen now. Really attractive-looking item, you know. And his father picked this up in like a house clearance sale in the 40s, actually in 1946, for 100 pounds with a whole bunch of other art and a 12-seater table and chairs. So really, in his mind, this wasn't that valuable or important at all. This was just part of the lot. And really, uh, Mr. Nourish grew up with this, and he really liked it. So as part of the wedding present from his folks, he was given this, and it went into their dining room, where really they enjoyed it, but they used it to pot plants in. And even his kids, like when they played soccer inside, would use that as the soccer goal that they would kick the ball at to score points. Yeah, can you believe? I'm shocked, eh, Barbara? So all for 100 pounds, he got this and a whole bunch of other stuff too. Little did they know, when he took it to be valued in 1991, the Antiques Roadshow people saw this and told him that this had been designed and made by Christoffel, the famous, famous artist, and it had been designed for this Paris exhibition in 1874. And they valued this jardinier at 10,000 pounds, which is about 200,000 rand. Not too bad, huh? So Mr. Nourish held on to this for another 20 years, except now they no longer put their plants in it and no longer used it to play soccer. It stayed as like this proud emblem in their home, in their dining room. About 20 years later, in uh, 2012, he decided, you know what, the time is right. I'm going to sell this item. And he took it to Christie's in London to be auctioned. And they started the bidding for this item at £100,000. And quickly, it just started to climb, 120, 150, 200, 250, 300, 350, and finally sold for 668,000 pounds, which let me convert it for you, how kind, 11 and a half million rand. Isn't that insane? This item that you've been putting plants in and that you've been letting your kids kick a soccer ball at is worth 11 and a half million. And I just thought for us at Christmas time, I think this is similar to the Christmas story. You know, sometimes what happens is we've got the Christmas story in our lives, in our home. It's part of our family life, and it's there, and it's part of what's going on, and we look at it all the time, but we can easily forget what it's worth. We become so familiar with it. It's so part of our life. It's so ordinary that we lose the treasure or the beauty of this, and we forget that we have something that could change our lives forever and fill us with real joy if we remember how beautiful it is. So last week, um, we sung like we did today, the song, Oh Holy Night. And I really emphasize that line, a thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. And I thought of you today, maybe you're here and you're feeling weary. You know, I'm speaking about joy today and you're thinking, joy, like what reason have I got for joy this Christmas? You know, you don't know my year. 
You don't know what's happened. You don't know our financial situation, my work situation, my family situation, my stress situation, just everything that's going on. It's been a nightmare year. And now we get to Christmas and you tell me, actually, like actually there's reason for hope and joy in Christmas time. Why? You know, I know what Christmas is about. It's the turkeys and it's the, the reindeer and it's Santa Claus and it's family getting together and it's gifts and it's all these things. It's very cutesy and nice. It's kind of Disney-fied Christmas picture. But really, what is my hope in Christmas? You know, is it hope and joy for one or two days? Or is it this kind of life-changing joy which could change the rest of my life and fill me with joy till the day that I die? So last week we were in Luke 2, and we looked at the shepherds in the field and the angels. And there's this amazing line in verse 10 and 11. It says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And I was doing a little bit of research on this passage again this week. And that word great, great joy, is the Greek word megas. You know, like megasaurus or megalopolis. Or I don't know what you would put mega as like a prefix for in your mind, your life, but mega. I just thought that really illuminates and adds like another layer or texture to that verse. You know, good news of mega joy for all people. It kind of makes it a little bit fresh, you know. And I was struck by that, the hope that we have in Jesus for mega joy in our lives. And beyond that, I thought maybe some people would walk in here today and you're going, God doesn't care about me. God hasn't answered my prayers this year. God's not listening to me at all. God doesn't love me. And we see here in this verse, actually, good news of mega joy for all people. So I'd love to personalize that for you a second. For Keegan, for David, for James, for Dawn, it's good news of mega joy for you today too. And this morning, I want to go a little bit further down Luke 2 to verse 25 and look at a man named Simeon's encounter with Jesus. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn there. Otherwise, you can follow along on the screen. It says this. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. I was thinking of this man, Simeon. He's old. He's lived probably a full life, served God, experienced lots of things. He had this bucket list, and he ticked every item. You know, he'd done it all, everything he wanted to do. But God said to him, I want you to add one more item to your bucket list. One more block and one more thing. You will see the Christ, the Messiah, before you die. So Simeon says, okay, Lord, he adds this box, he writes it down, he's good to go, but God says there's one more thing before you finish your innings on this earth. And he waits and waits and waits. He doesn't know when this is going to happen. And then one day Mary and Joseph walk into the temple with this baby, and Simeon scoops him up in his arms, and he looks at this child, and he sees this is the Lord's salvation. This isn't just any cute child. You know, he doesn't just squeeze his cheeks and say, oh, what a cutie, and give him back. He sees who this baby really is. This is the Lord's salvation. And I don't know when you saw Jesus, what you felt, but Simeon's like, I've seen him. I'm good to go. Lord, you can take me home now. Now that I've seen Jesus, my life is complete. Now that I've seen your salvation, I'm all good. 
And Simeon probably didn't know about the cross and about Easter and about Jesus' death for our sins. He probably didn't understand how all of that was going to play out, but he knew the prophecies. He knew that God was promising someone who would be the Savior of the world, that if anyone put their faith in him, their sins could be forgiven and they could be united to God. When Simeon saw Jesus, he was good to go. And I want to ask you, do you see what Simeon saw? Do you see what Simeon saw? Or do you see what Joseph saw? In Matthew 1, we read some of the story of Joseph. And I think Joseph is one of the heroes of the Christmas story. I mean, he doesn't have much written about him in the Bible, but he is this amazing man who played such a significant role in Jesus and Mary's life and in the future of the church. And in verse 18, it speaks about him. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, before they made love or had sex, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Dum, dum, dum. And her husband Joseph didn't really believe in all of this miraculous conception Holy Spirit stuff, but being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, he resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And this all took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And I looked at that and I thought, do you see what Joseph sees at Christmas time? You know, Or maybe a better way of looking at it is, do you see what Joseph saw the second time he looked at Jesus? And I thought of some of us in this room today, and I, I don't know all of our stories here. I thought maybe you're here because someone's forced you to come. You didn't want to come to church today, but you're doing your family like, I don't know, some kind of kindness. You just decided to come. This is your yearly tradition. You've looked into church before. You've looked into Jesus before. You've done the Alpha Course. You've done something, and you're here today, but you don't believe in Jesus. And I want to encourage you, the end of this year, going into 2018, to take a look again. As a church, we've got some courses next year which would help you to do that. We've got some groups which would help you to do that. I would love to answer some questions and help you to take another look at Jesus. Because the first time Joseph looked at him, he didn't see who Jesus really was. You know what he saw? He saw a woman who cheated on him. He saw a bastard child. He felt shame. He felt angry. He was just upset about this affair. And the only logical thing that he could do was put the woman away and carry on with his life. That's what he saw the first time he looked. But God in his grace said, let me give you an angel and let's take a second look at who this Jesus might be. And when he looks again, he sees, okay, maybe the story about this miraculous Holy Spirit conception thing is true. And maybe this Jesus really is who Isaiah says he is, Emmanuel, God with us, the Savior of the world. Who do you see when you see Jesus? Do you see what Joseph saw? And there's that amazing quote there from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And I also want to ask you, do you see what, uh, what Isaiah saw? Now, this is an amazing picture to me of this idea that God would come near to us, that he would come down. 
Because what that means is God isn't just distant and out there. You might say, okay, I know God is all-powerful. I know He knows everything. I know He's wiser than I am. All of that, I got it. But God doesn't get my problems. But as we look at this, we see, no, 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 God came down. He walked this earth. He was flesh and blood. He dealt with people. He dealt with betrayal and disappointment. He dealt with the stresses and realities of human life. He can identify with what you're going through. The scriptures teach us he was tempted in every way, yet without sin. No matter what your greatest struggle or problem or issue is today, Jesus gets it. And that means that we can go to him, a wonderful counselor, to ask for counsel and help and wisdom and advice. And he cares and loves you and can meet you in the place that you're in. What we learn at Christmas is that God came near to start a relationship with us. And I really love that because I'm the kind of guy who hates Skype. You know, I've got family overseas. We never Skype them. I'm happy to do a voice note. I'm happy to do texting. Skype is just not my thing because it's this horrible two-dimensional sit-on-the-couch-in-front-of-a-screen kind of thing. It just doesn't do it for me. And I love face-to-face communication with people, you know. I'll be the guy this uh, Christmas time who everyone's sitting together in the lounge, laughing, eating, whatever, and I'm kind of one-on-one-ing on the side, just like pull across, have like this really good conversation, get deep, talk about life, find out about someone. I love that. And I love that God wasn't content to just be up there. I know he's here, but to be up there, that God came down flesh and blood to live among us so that we could see what he's like so that we could get personal with God. And as we read the scriptures, and as we read about the life and person of Jesus, we find out what God is like. We get to know our Creator and our Savior so much better. Emmanuel, God with us. In Christmas, God gave us a relationship. So do you see what Isaiah saw? And maybe lastly, do you see what the wise men saw? In Matthew 2, verse 1 to 2, and a little bit more. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who, was, who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And behold, the star, this is in verse 9, that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with, mega joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now we've got family here at the moment, some family from Hong Kong, got some family arriving tomorrow from England, which is really exciting. And tomorrow at about two o'clock, I'll be standing at the airport waiting for my little nieces, Zoe, who's three and a bit, and Tess, who's about two, to come through the gate. And I'm looking forward to that. You know, we've prepared, we've got presents wrapped in under the tree for them. We're ready to play in the pool with them. We think we're going to have a great time. I might fall to my knees to hug and kiss them. It'll be very, very special. There might even be tears of joy. But we're not going to worship the child as God, you know. That's something we won't do. There'll be a lot of love, a lot of emotion, a lot of feelings, but no worship. But here in this story, what I think is even crazier is these wise men or foreign kings or astrologers or whatever these guys were, are famous or, or at least rich or at least significant and influential in their culture. And they've traveled probably for weeks and weeks to try and find this Jewish family and this Jewish king so that they can pay respects. And finally, they see the star, which I don't fully understand how this all worked, some supernatural act, some supernatural leading of God. And they finally see the star or comet above this house and they rejoice with great joy because they know they found what they were looking for. 
And they get into the house and they see the baby Jesus and they fall down to their knees and they worship him and they give him presents. Firstly, the presence of a king and secondly, the presence for someone who is going to die. Somehow in their preparation, I mean, a bit of an orky porks present to give to a mom and a dad with their new baby. But somehow they see who this baby is. He's the king. He's God who is worthy to be worshipped. And he is going to die for the sins of the world. And they give these gifts and they fall to their knees and they worship. I wanted to ask you today, do you see what the wise men saw? And maybe lastly, it's just a little bumper person. Just sort of John the Apostle, who was Jesus' best friend on this earth. Probably knew him better than anyone else. Spent a lot of time with him. Saw him in a whole bunch of different situations. And when John writes his biography of Jesus' life, right in the first chapter in the intro, gives us one line, which probably many of you know, to describe what Jesus was like. And he says in verse 14, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And I love when John saw his best friend, when he saw this man, Jesus. He didn't just see a normal man, maybe a moral man, a good man, a a wise teacher. He saw him and he said, I see the glory of God embodied in a man. Now, I know we don't always talk about glory, so maybe it's hard to kind of understand that. But one of my favorite definitions for glory is that we would define it like this. The weight of God's perfect holiness. I see the weight of God's perfect holiness embodied in this man, Jesus. Now, I've got some good friends and some friends I would die for. Some friends who I think are wise and mature and I learn from. I think they've got incredible character, but I would never define them in that way, you know. But when John sees Jesus, he says, this man is the embodiment of the glory of Father God in heaven living among us. When you see Jesus in the manger this Christmas, do you see what John saw? What do you see this Christmas? Do you see a wise teacher, a religious leader, a moral man? Do you see maybe a myth that over the years has been blown out of proportion and exaggerated and changed throughout history and culture? Do you see a baby in a nativity play? I watched a clip on YouTube this week. It was a little American group kind of doing the nativity scene. And this two-year-old little lamb girl comes to the manger and takes Jesus out and starts to walk away. And Mary comes after her and gets the baby back and puts him in the manger. And then the lamb comes back and takes Jesus and goes. And Mary gets her in the headlock and puts the baby back and sits with her for the rest of the time. Great clip. You should look it up. But what do you see when you see Jesus this year? Do you see what Simeon saw, the salvation of God? Jesus come to forgive our sins. Do you see what Joseph saw when he looked again? Not a bastard child, not an affair, not shame or scandal or betrayal, but actually the Emmanuel, God with us. Do you see what the wise men saw? Someone to be worshipped, someone who is a king, and someone who is worthy of our great joy. This Christmas, can we look freshly at Jesus and see the good news of great joy? of mega joy that is for all people because Christmas is about a person and his name is Jesus. It's very easy while we're eating turkey and doing the present thing and doing family or friends or whatever you get up to, to just remember Jesus as that pot that you've put plants in or kicked a soccer ball at and forget about his true worth and beauty this Christmas. But would we look at him with fresh eyes and see his true value and worship him for his beauty and worth? I'll just finish with this verse. 1 Peter 1 verse 8. 
says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Can we stand and pray? Lord, I pray even now as we gather together to celebrate you and remember you, that it would be like the scales would fall from our eyes and we would see you afresh. I pray as we leave here today, as we sit in the pool or go to the beach or spend time with friends or have lunch or wrap presents or work or whatever we have to do, I pray that we would see again who you really are, that you would open our eyes to the truth, that you would give us fresh revelation of your reality and that we would be filled with wonder and awe at your beauty and power and glory. I pray you would help us to be a worshiping church this Christmas. And I pray, Lord God, for a fresh, fresh, fresh look at your face. And that you would fill us with deep thankfulness for your salvation and grace. In Jesus' name, amen.